Hound Podcast. Hello and welcome to a Horse and Hound Podcast advertising series. This is the fourth episode of the Champions Safety Series. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. On this episode, we'll be focusing on the Riding a Dream Academy, and I have four guests here with me today to explore how the Academy started and the opportunities it offers. Firstly, I'm joined by Khadija Mella, who became the first British Muslim woman to ride in and win a race when she triumphed in the Magnolia Cup at Goodwood in 2019. Hi Khadija, welcome to the podcast. Hi there, thank you for having me. It's great to have you along. And we also have with us today Naomi Lawson. Naomi is the co-founder of the Riding a Dream Academy and the programme manager, as well as the communications director at Great British Racing. Hi Naomi. Hi Pippa. Thank you for joining us. We also have with us as our third guest, the ITV racing presenter, Ollie Bell, who was also involved in setting up the Academy, another of the co-founders. Hi, Ollie. Hey, how are you? Good, thank you. Great to have you on the podcast as well. And last but not least, we've got a big lineup today for, uh, for the podcast. We have Mel Newman, the head of marketing at Champion. Hi, Mel. How are you doing? I'm oh, good, thank you. It's good to be here. Brilliant. Well, we have introduced everybody. So I think that we should kick off with Khadija and your story. Can you start by telling us a little about yourself? How old are you and where did you grow up? Um, currently, I'm 20 years old. I grew up in Peckham, which is in southeast London. And I rode, well, I started riding at Ebony Horse Club in Brixton, aged 11 or 12. Um, I've been riding for at least nine years now. My parents are from Kenya and Algeria, immigrated about 20, 30 years ago. And yeah, I went to school in London and now I'm at university in Brighton. Brilliant. And uh, I'm sorry that we're making you talk so much when you've got a sore throat and a, and a husky voice, but, uh, but we can hear you well, so it's all good. How did you first become interested in horses and, and start riding at the Ebony Riding Club? So I've had an interest in horses prior to Ebony, just in general. Um, I was a sort of an animal lover I had loads of pets and sort of next on my bucket list was to try and ride a horse. Unfortunately, there weren't many riding clubs in and around London, so it was a real struggle growing up to have any access to horses. Um, but fortunately, Ebony Horse Club came along and solved all of my problems. Only a 15 minute drive away um, and a 20 minute cycle, so it was ideal and perfect for me. I immediately signed up and started riding as soon as I possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> and Ollie, I'm going to bring you in here because I think you were sort of instrumental in taking Khadija from riding at the Ebony Horse Club near to where she grew up in London to riding in a race, which feels like a, a big step. How did you first meet Khadija? Yeah, well, on the opening show, which is the show I present for, for ITV, we we actually played out a feature about the Ebony Horse Club in Brixton. And I I was really sort of struck by it. And I turned up there. My mum doesn't live too far away and went went round to have a look at Ebony. And they very kindly asked me to be a patron for them. And because I I was surprised that people in the racing industry didn't really know about Ebony. I mean were starting to hear about it, but I thought that there could be so much more to showcase that there are these incredible riding um, organisations in inner cities in our country. So I wanted to bring it to sort of people's attention and I sort of could have done some nominal car boot sale to raise a few quid for them or whatever. But I had an, an idea to, to film a documentary 
taking someone from Ebony and putting them in a horse race and after a few conversations with a variety of different people, um, mainly Naomi at Great British Racing, who in turn spoke to the Racing Foundation and Goodwood, um, we managed to secure a spot in the Magnolia Cup. But at this stage, we hadn't got a rider. We just had essentially the green light to to try and make this sort of dream of mine and in turn Khadija's a reality. And so we went to Ebony. We said, we've got a spot in the race. We need someone who's over 18 because um, those were the stipulations for the race who, who would be up for doing it. And the reason why I met Khadija is because she was the only one available, essentially. <laughs> um, uh, but it turned out to be the most incredible uh, ride that we all went on. And, and, and from, from the moment we met, we sort of put all our eggs into one basket, but it was the, the most incredible basket to put them in because Khadija's turned out to be just an absolute superstar. Khadija, did you sort of volunteer to take that spot? How did you hear about it? There were like quiet discussions within Ebony and then one of the senior management dropped a subtle hint to my brother that they'd be potentially having one of the young people at Ebony riding in a charity race because my brother had links to racing at that point because he'd started doing pony racing um, and there was like a little bit of gossip about how it might be me um, and then I was like "Ooh, what's, what's, what's this Magnolia Cup and then I did a little bit of googling and then um, as the weeks went by more and more staff members were like so there might be this really interesting opportunity for you and then i put two and two together and then i had a chat with the documentary production company once it was semi-confirmed um, and they sort of filled me in on the details and and, and how it's going to be quite demanding it kind of tried to scare me off a little bit just to see if i'd want to actually throw myself in in which case i did anyway because I love a challenge, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was going to be my next question was, why did you decide to go for it? Because it sounded interesting and I hate being bored. And at the time I was quite bored during revision and my A-levels. I was like, anything to spice up life, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> that is so brave. And tell us a bit about the build up to the race. Where did you train and what did the training involve? Well, I uh, completely underestimated how much time and effort the training would be. So I was, first of all, sent to Epsom to sit on a racehorse for the first time, which was okay. It went okay. There were no catastrophes. However, I wouldn't say that I had the most accurate insight into racehorses. I then started my full-time training. Um, I had a few days at Newmarket, which went catastrophically wrong. I mean, I didn't fall off, but it was just scary. I was very scared. At that point, I wasn't sure whether racing was for me. <laughs> And then I rode some more horses and fell in love with a couple and realised that there'd be good days and bad days. So I continued on the journey. There was a lot of riding, but also a lot of fitness that I had to take into consideration. So whilst I was revising and in between my revision, doing a lot of fitness and going to the gym and what building on my strength and balance, obviously because I had a lack of accessibility to race horses, I had to do what I can in order to better my chances. And then I did some, some riding, which was quite scary. And I realised that I was way out of my depth. <laughs> and 
And what was scary about it? I mean, I've, I'm going to be honest, I've ridden all my life and I've never ridden a racehorse. And I think I would be a little daunted by the idea. Was it sort of the speed? Was it control? What was, what were those sort of challenges that you had to overcome in riding racehorses? Absolutely everything. There are so many things that was like, first of all, I was used to riding in an arena with fat, slow horses. Like the fastest I would go would be like, I don't know, 15 miles per hour. And suddenly I'm on these very lean, tall, muscular, thin, very jumpy, very scatty, very aware of its surroundings, racehorses that I just had no control of. And control was the biggest thing because with control, like you can be a, a safe rider. If you have a lack of control in any sense, that is gonna be a massive point of concern because you could become a danger to other people as well as yourself and the horse. And initially I had no control because I just didn't understand racehorses. And, you know, I was I was quietly confident because I'd ridden for eight years and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I, I know it. Like, I know what I'm doing. You know, I've ridden riding school horses, clearly, you know, horses are horses, you know what I mean? They can't be that different. Sat on a racehorse and it just wasn't the same and it was terrifying. And obviously, I had no composure because I was scared, which meant I panicked a little bit. Um, first thing when riding any or dealing with any horses is never to panic. And I did panic quite a lot. <laughs> I can totally imagine. And was there sort of a turning point when things started to get better? How did you overcome that sort of panic? And, and when did things sort of start to feel like they were falling into place? To be fair, after the first few times that things went wrong, I realised it wasn't actually as big of a deal as I made it out to be. You know, when riding horses, things do go wrong and you sort of have to learn from it and move on, just like with anything in life um, and, and not overthink it too much. And what I did initially was panic that I had like caused so much chaos and drama when really and truly it was just a little hiccup and a bump in the road and I made it seem like a mountain. And eventually the mistakes were happening less and less and it was only up until you sit on something that really get you get along with really well. So I sat on a horse called Kepler Huntress and I sat on Haviland. And when you have that like very quick mutual connection with a horse that, you know, we're safe, we're good, we're going to have a good time. It's really rewarding and it makes it all the worthwhile. And it's probably why the like jockeys do what they do is because every now and again you sit on something that's incredible and you want to get the most out of that horse as well as yourself and you want to ride that winner. So it, it's like a, it's a feeling that you can't really put your finger on. It's just, it makes it magic. I don't know, it's just really good. <laughs> <laughs> and Haviland was the horse that you rode in the race eventually. How did you sort of first come to, to ride him and you just said you had a really great connection? What was he like? He's just the most chilled out dude. Like I have so much respect for him as a horse because he, <laughs> he like brings so much and he he is so much to Charlie Fellow's yard. Like he does so much for the for the entire yard. He does so much for everyone that arrives at the yard. Like he's just such a cool horse, and he carries himself so well. He's just a lovely horse. So I can't even begin to explain how incredible he is. Yeah, he's a little guy, but he's amazing and. I don't know. I just love him. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of our listeners will be able to, to relate to that and to that connection with a horse. And aside from the sort of fitness training and the, the, the skills you were having to learn in riding the horses, did you have any challenges around perception as a woman riding in a hijab? It wasn't really a big deal to me 
up until everyone else made it a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, to me, it's the everyday. It's the usual. Like I grew, up, I grew up wearing it, and it's up until people. Uh, to be fair, I did get a few questions from people that I was riding with, like, "Why do you wear it?" etc. And I, 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 I love curiosity and I love educating people, so that never phased me. It was quite obvious to me riding out in Newmarket that, you know, I was. I was the one and only Muslim girl, if not only woman of color, to be fair, I could see on the heath riding out. But as I said, like, it's one of those things that I am who I am. My ability means more to me than my sort of physical appearance, if you get know what I mean. And at that point in time, I didn't have the energy to care about anything else apart from picking up racehorses and race riding and getting as fit as possible in the least amount of time like ever so it was I didn't have much time to dwell on it yeah <laughs> oh well that that's good to hear and tell us about the day of the race were you nervous in the build-up absolutely the biggest thing for me was making sure that I didn't let people down I don't know I felt like I a lot of people had trust the process per se when it came to my journey and after the failure of my first assessment, I had I felt like I had a lot to prove to myself and the people that had kept giving me chances. I'm not the average rider in that race and I wanted to make sure that at least I did okay, Not I didn't want to do bad. So when it came to the race, I really just wanted things to go smooth. It Yeah, like there was a lot of pressure to perform like that I put on myself, I think, as well as like just performing in a race, I guess. Yeah, and the assessment that you just mentioned that you failed the first time, that was an assessment as to whether you would even actually be allowed to ride in the race. Was that right? Exactly. Yeah. So uh, so you passed that the second time. You, you got to the race. You didn't want to let anybody down. What do you remember about, about, about that actual race? I remember arriving the night before and watching a few of the races the day before and thinking as I saw the jockeys cross the finish line, I was with Ollie Bell, my best friend, and I remember thinking, oh, I'm gonna have to do that tomorrow. That's weird, that is crazy. And I don't, I can't imagine myself crossing the finish line as if I was a jockey, because it just um, it just seemed so like unfamiliar and like almost imaginary. And I was like really, really, yeah, I was really nervous, but I was kept well distracted because I had my friend there. So we just like chilled out and ate some food. And then in the morning we had to do a course walk, which meant I had to walk the track and it was it was very daunting. But I, again, I had a lot of the races there to keep me distracted and they were really lovely and they um, gave me some tips because a few of them had done races before. So despite my nerves, I had like I was surrounded with really amazing people to keep me busy and to allow myself not to overthink. Um, at one point I did get quite overwhelmed because the, like my trainer and my jockey coach and my brother were all repeating the same thing make sure you get the start right and then I was like oh my god how do I get the start right I haven't practiced the start because you can you can't really practice a start <laughs> until you're there <laughs> so that was a bit overwhelming um but yeah it, like I, I I reckon it wasn't anything extraordinary how I was feeling like I feel like everyone else like even the girls who had raced before were just as nervous as me. And it was almost humbling to know that like, despite all of our different walks in life, at this very moment, we were all feeling the nerves and tension the same amount in the same way. And during the actual race, was there a point when it sort of went from, 
I don't want to let myself down. I don't want to let everybody else down. I just want to put up a good showing to, my goodness, I could actually win this. Was the sort of a turning point around that? Absolutely. It was about two furlongs before the finish line. I realised that Havilland hadn't dropped back at all and he was moving well. He was in a nice rhythm. There was a gap on the left and I remember my brother and I remember Victoria Pendleton saying, if you're going to pull out anywhere, pull out to the left. And I was like, this is perfect. I have a gap to the left. And if I time this correctly, because I've ridden Havilland before and when he gallops, as, as soon as you pull out behind a horse um, and come up sides, he takes off and he picks up really, really well, but only for about a furlong. So like he's only got like a boost in his tank that lasts only so much. So I, I just had to make sure that I timed it relatively well. And when I pulled out, I felt him pick up and I was like, I think we might have this in the bag. And at that point, all I wanted to do was make sure that he crossed the line first because like, I was just so grateful that he responded to me. And like, I didn't do like a, a massive hand change. I didn't, because at the time I didn't really know how to push. I didn't do a big push, but he understood anyway. And I was like, I really want him. Like, I just, I don't know. It was, it was with that moment. I was like, you're, you're an incredible horse and you've listened to me. You deserve to cross the line first. Like, it would make me very proud and I, I'd be really happy. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. And it, and it all came came together and you did cross the line first, as you say. And what about the reception afterwards at the at the race course? It was insane. There, there is nothing like, like I've never witnessed or felt anything like it before. Like I had complete strangers coming to congratulate me and, and telling me how much they like it was a very emotional race to watch for them. And I was like, I, I like I was flattered completely and, and very grateful but also in complete and utter confusion how they didn't know me and they still felt connected to my race and felt the euphoria of my win which was insane and magical but also like I was just like what I, I didn't really understand the gravity of what I'd done to be fair because I like I just thought it was me have a land my family and the support I had against the world and like for complete strangers in the audience and spectators to congratulate me was really lovely and the reaction from even like the jockeys that were in the weighing room was insane. Like I had Frankie Dettori come and congratulate me afterwards and Hayley Turner. And it was insane to be, you know, appreciated and recognised by the greats, really. Like yeah. just incredible. An, an incredible day. And Khadija, we'll let you give your give your voice a little rest now. Ollie, I'm going to bring <laughs> you in. From your point of view, you'd obviously been following all of the highs and lows with Khadija and sort of filming that documentary, bringing the whole story to a wider audience. What was the day like? Yeah, it was pretty crazy, to be honest. The whole the whole thing was was mad from start to finish. And, and Khadija's touched on the sort of the team around her and, and her family who who've, we've become very close to him and we've got to know all of Khadija's family and they're essentially like my family now um it's been lovely that side of the story but um I think because it was such a small team involved in this in terms of sort of managing Khadija and um Naomi who I'm sure you'll speak to in a moment she's so integral to everything really she was our glue really but what what we found is that along the way with the ups and downs we've just all became so invested in it and actually what was strange is that come the race day I mean, we'd been through everything already. So it's kind of just getting there was a victory in itself. And I said that, I think, to Khadija. And I was terrified because I just wanted her to come back in one piece. We'd all had a nice time. Everyone can go home, go to bed and have their first good night's sleep for about seven months and <laughs> life would be normal again. 
And actually, what happened when we got there was something that I don't think any of us really planned for. And that was the level of media interest in Khadija. I know that it had become a big story because of her being the first hijab wearing jockey, et cetera, et cetera. But none of us at the start ever thought about that. It was only much later on. And I say, I remember Khadija mentioned her conversation with her brother about the start. But I was saying to Khadija, just go out the back, have a nice day out and don't worry about anything. And then obviously that was terrible advice, but genuinely all I wanted Khadija to do was come back safe. And I never in my wildest dreams or visions or expectations thought that she would win the race. But that was more from a sort of horse racing logic point of view. The horse she was riding was rated 64 or something and she was taking on horses rated 80. So that's essentially like a division two footballer playing against Cristiano Ronaldo and beating Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, it just shouldn't have happened. And the way Khadija rode was um, exceptional. But, what, but her victory, I shouldn't have been surprised by it because at every hurdle that Khadija was faced with, she overcame it and overcame it with such grace, humility, class, poise, talent. And when I saw her getting the adulation that she so rightly got after the race, I was a complete mess. I just burst into tears. And every time I talk about it, it makes me like emotional because it was just the most, I think to this day, that was the greatest day of my life. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Like you say that, uh, well, that the, you went from, you know, this small group just wanting to sort of get through to the end. And then suddenly there was so much interest. And, and, and as you say, she won the race against against all the odds really uh in in every way against both more experienced jockeys and as you say horses who were who were so much higher rated than Haviland and how did things sort of move on from that day towards the idea of the Riding a Dream Academy yeah well I mean I, I mentioned that team like I really can't stress it enough that we were we were a very small team it was Khadija and her brother myself Naomi my brother Phil um and the directors of the film, Tom and Mattia. And that was essentially the team that from start to finish turned this story into a reality and everyone played an equal part in making it happen, basically. And then after the race, my brother, who's an incredibly intelligent man, came up with the idea of creating something that would leave a long lasting permanent legacy to the remarkable achievement of Khadija. And he was the first person to suggest setting up an academy with a Khadija Miller scholarship aligned to it. And then he went, there's an idea, go and make it happen. And I went, hey, Naomi, it's Ollie. And I've got an idea. <laughs> Can we make this happen? And Naomi, in her just absolutely incredible, um, phenomenal way, is able to make things come together that I, I genuinely don't know how she does it. She's an absolute superstar. And when you know, I hope, I, I'm sure I'm waffling now, but I hope that as Khadija rightly gets all the praise, I think that actually the person that the children that go through on the academy and for all of us involved in riding a dream, the person we actually need to thank more than anyone really is Naomi because we, we presented her with the idea myself and Naomi sort of crafted it and had lots of conversations with it. But actually the reason why it's actually a thing is because of Naomi Lawson, who is just one of the most incredible human beings that I've ever been lucky enough to meet in my life. Oh, Naomi, quite a tribute there. So come on then, at the at the gritty end of it, what what happened to turn that idea into reality? How did you do it? Um, I think it's just that we're all passionate about the project and passionate about what Khadija had achieved and the reaction that it had 
kind of stimulated as well. I think, you know, obviously within racing, kind of lots of people talk about Frankie and he's amazing for the sport. But I think, I don't know if has mentioned it, but, you know, after the race, in terms of the messages you were getting, Khadija, from, from people who said that they were kind of inspired by you and who had never kind of thought that they had a role within racing or could get involved in kind of being with horses, that was just really, really encouraging and was kind of one of the best things about it, really. And so it kind of comes from, from a passion point that all of us are really passionate about this project and that just makes it easy and you know also I think I have to kind of say that the Racing Foundation has just been absolutely amazing to us they were with us from the start they helped along with Great British Racing and Goodwood Racecourse helped to fund the film but really could see the potential in setting up an academy and making this um, something that made a you know a lasting contribution to the British racing industry and they've they've helped set up um, the academy as well so kind of without their support it wouldn't have been possible but all of us are kind of coming from a point of of wanting to make a difference and um, to kind of help make racing more diverse more inclusive and, and get more people involved yeah so 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 I think you've just touched on it there who is the academy aimed at what what does it aim to achieve it's really about encouraging young people from uh, who you know not involved in racing already don't have a pony in the back garden um, kids from underrepresented communities and that ride at inner city um, farms and centers like ebony to give them the chance to get into racing so it's specifically targeted at 14 to 18 year olds and we really wanted to be able to give people an introduction into racing through the residential week and then through the scholarship which lasts over um, a year just give them that more in-depth experience and for that to act as a stepping stone so that they could then find out more about the industry and then hopefully go on to um, go on the foundation course which is a 16-week course at the British Racing School where they can then go on to work in in racing but I think you know there's there's so much more that we can do and that's exciting um, but it's really about giving them that experience the chance to ride racehorses as Khadija said there's a big difference from going from a, a riding school pony to going on to a racehorse but everyone that's been on the course so far has been riding racehorses and that's just so exciting for them and just such a sense of achievement that you get from making that step up as well. Mm, I bet. And uh, I think you just were saying there as well that there are two programmes that the Academy has and one is sort of a year long and one is just a week. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So we've held um, the residential week, which is just um, a single week um, at the British Racing School. Um, we've done riding on the racehorses, going on the exercises and, and various trips. And that's really just as, to act as an introduction to racing. And I think our ambition for that programme is to be able to offer it consistently to every urban equestrian centre in the country so, so that they can send a cohort um, to the British Racing School or to the National Horse Racing College each year and just have that immersion into the world and find out more about it. And then the scholarship course, which is a year long programme. Again, um, we've held the first residential week for that, which was brilliant and did loads of fitness with the, the young people going to the races, um, going on the exercises, learning about horse care, learning about the specifics of looking after racehorses. And then there's going to be 11 monthly sessions where they come back to the British Racing School each month for, for 24 hours and just kind of top up that experience, get more experience around um, the horses, find out more about the sport and really immerse them, kind of get them used to being at the British Racing School so that when they come back, hopefully to do the 16 week foundation course or to go 
don't pursue another career within racing. They're already kind of familiar with, with the British Racing School. They know about Newmarket and we've helped them to develop a bit of a network within the within the industry as well. Mm. You're touching on lots of areas there, Naomi, that I want to, to pursue in, in this conversation. But um, first of all, just tell us, you mentioned sort of funding earlier and it's all very well having a great idea, but great ideas cost money. How How is the Academy funded? How does that part of it work? It's being funded by um, the Racing Foundation, which um, funds a number of different projects across the industry on a one-year pilot. So I think the, 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 the next challenge for us is just really demonstrating the impact that the Academy's had and making sure that we can get um, long-term funding for it as well. So Ollie and I are just working on that strategy now and, and just trying to get new funders in as well. Um, the Jockey Club has also helped to fund one of the um, scholarship students, which which we're very, very grateful for. And obviously Champion has made a contribution as well, for which we're very grateful in terms of looking after the kids in terms of their kit, which has just been so amazing. And they've all been so delighted to receive that. So lots of people have, have, have chipped in and, and my work has been very, very good in terms of allowing me to kind of drop down in, in terms of hours and, and focus on the academy as well. So. Um, Lots of people have been involved, but the Racing Foundation in particular have been wonderful. And the, as you say, there's the sort of first participants who had a chance to sample the Academy. The year-round scholarship programme is underway and the, the first participants on that sort of residential week have, have had that as well back in August. Ollie, can you tell us how did that go? What was the feedback like from the young people? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was incredible. I think um, from my point of view, meeting them on the scholarship week I get a real sense of pride, to be honest. I think that you could see that what we were doing was totally, I don't want to say changing lives of children, but I, I hope it does in some way, but that might be a bit extreme, but it's, it's, it's giving them an opportunity to further enhance a passion and a love that they have for something that perhaps isn't always easily accessible to them as perhaps it could be for others. So once they get to Newmarket and they see everything at the racing school and they're up close with the horses and they're, they're on the exercise and they're getting really good coaching from some great people, uh, you can just see them, the beaming smiles on the children's faces. And, and I think the best way to sum it up is at the end of the week, I think everyone, to a man, to a woman, to a boy, to a girl, everyone was just in floods of tears because no one wanted it to end. When you see that, you realise that what you're doing is absolutely the right thing to do. And uh, as I say, I, I couldn't be prouder of the team that we've put together for this, the children that are on the course in year one. And I hope that every year for the next 30, 40, 50 years, we have another group of young children coming through, experiencing what the, the young boys and girls have experienced in year one. But for that to happen, it will obviously take funding, as Naomi mentioned, and lots of people pulling in the right direction uh, continuously. But uh, I know we're doing the right thing and um, seeing the reaction from year one and the comments that they put in their reports and what have you, it was just the most uh, wonderful thing to read and see. And so much of that is down to the British Racing School because they're just such a wonderful setup. And the two coaches that we had are just so incredibly encouraging. And just the improvement that you saw in each each individual over the course of the two weeks was just incredible. And they've got that really wonderful kind of mix of stretching people whilst being encouraging and just making sure each individual person has their own kind of plan and, and pathway that they're going on. So I've just been kind of, I think we were all blown away just by how skillful those trainers were and the difference that they were able to make to those individuals lives and their, their riding ability and their confidence in themselves and their knowledge of racehorses as well. 
I think it's so, so important what we're doing. I know that I'm probably repeating old ground of what Naomi said. But I can't stress enough how different the racing school is in terms of what these children see day to day as a general rule. So for them to go there and be given an opportunity by a small team, it genuinely is, I think, the most important thing because racing from a, a wider point of view is not the cool. Like if you walk into central London and walk down the street and say, who's Ryan Moore? None of them will know who he is. I think probably 2% would know who Frankie Dettorio. Quite a lot of them, as Naomi mentioned, would know who Khadija Mella is. But it's so important that racing reaches out to people um, that perhaps it wouldn't ordinarily reach. And it takes organisations like the racing school to accommodate them, and they couldn't be more accommodating. But the hope is that every inner city, whether you've ridden or not, down the line, um, has an opportunity to come and experience the thrill of racing and horses, which Khadija so eloquently explained earlier, because I think it's so important if racing is to, to survive in the future, it needs the next generation coming through. And we have to find a different way of reaching out to the next generation. And hopefully the Academy and other organisations like that are one way of reaching out to people who perhaps haven't traditionally found a, a route into the sport. Mm. And Khadija, did you have a chance to visit the Academy over the summer and, and meet any of those sort of first participants in the programmes? Yeah, absolutely. I, I tried to make sure I could attend as much as I possibly could. I was there for the first residential and then for the scholarship. Um, I met all the kids and I, I definitely saw a incredible and like a very noticeable improvement in their confidence, riding ability and in their like social interactivity skills like some of them came on the first day and were super shy and weren't really making any jokes with the group. And, and by the end of the week, they were exchanging social media, like numbers and, and, and stuff. And they had all made friends and they had their favourite horses. They, they rode during the week and all of them had in some way, shape or form, learnt something and taken something away from the week, um, which was insane. Like, I felt like I was a student like one of them and I, I still am a student really but to give and share my love for racehorses to some other people especially some young people that are eager and ready to take up a new skill and, and build on it, it it's like makes li like just being alive so much more wholesome and it's I'm, I'm, a very, I'm very privileged to say that I could be part of such an incredible initiative. Mm. And um, how do you find it sort of being seen as a role model by these young people? It's weird. I still can't get my head around it. And I don't fully accept that I'm a proper role model yet, despite everyone saying so. Until, I, I, I'm, until I'm 100% happy and confident in my own ability as an equestrian rider, as a, as a jockey, as a horsewoman, I will never be able to feel like I am a, an adequate or or an actual role role model. However, it is, as I said, a massive privilege to have young people contact me and, and tell me that they've been inspired by my story. And yeah, that, that's it, it. It is a privilege. That's all I can say it is. It's, it's incredible. And I'm blessed. Mm. And Naomi, those young people who are sort of on the scholarship year, what will happen once that year is over? Is there any sort of ongoing support or view that they might get into the industry? What's the sort of the move on from, from that whole year? 
Um, no, absolutely. I think just trying to support them as much as we can. We've got um, one young person who we're hoping to be able to put onto the foundation course perhaps a little bit quicker than, than we thought just because they've done quite a lot of pony racing. But I think trying to give them the opportunity to do pony racing because I think if you want to go on to ride, that experience is really, really important. Um, we're working with a couple of other people from the residential course um, trying to help that um, one individual get a little bit more experience within the stud and the breeding industry as well. So we very much want to make sure that we're helping people to get onto other pathways within the sport and supporting them as much as possible because I think if we it's, it's all very well having a lovely year and finding out lots and, and improving your riding but we absolutely don't want someone marooned at the end of it so it's just about working with other parts of the industry and making sure that we're signposting where else um, they can go and, and find out more and broaden their experience and and get involved really so I think you know part of it will be a learning experience of kind of what people want to get out of it I think within our existing cohort on the scholarship there's definitely some people that definitely want to be um, riders of some description which is brilliant but we also want to be able to support those other people who think well actually perhaps I, I don't want to be um, the next Khadija Mella but I would like to kind of get involved in veterinary or um, perhaps the administrative side of the sport as well so um, it's about supporting each person as an individual as far as we possibly can. Mm. And of course, there are so many great ways to be involved in horses and horse sport and racing, which are beyond riding. So that's so good to hear. Ollie, one thing I'm really curious about is how the programme is promoted and how you reach those underrepresented groups. You know, there's a lot of movements that say we want to, to bring in different communities and so on. But sometimes it's difficult to actually reach the people that programmes are for. How do you get into those communities and engage them in the programme? Um, well, to begin with, uh, as Naomi mentioned, we sort of have, and through the journey, through the Ebony story, through my re relationship with Ebony and, and Naomi and Khadija's as well, we've got to know various other urban equestrian centres. So initially we sort of targeted them. The hope is that once um, the success of this programme is known more widely within the inner city communities, we can then start to reach out to more people far and wide, more people are getting in contact. But to be honest, it's about publicising what we are trying to achieve and there's various ways that we've done that Naomi through her role at Great British Racing has obviously got links to most of the major outlets which is a massive asset and Khadija's done lots of interviews on Radio 2 with Zoe Ball, Chris Evans for the major newspapers and the BBC are doing a documentary I don't know whether I'm allowed to say that but I am regarding uh, the, the academy so that's going to take it to become a very visible thing and lots of people will be aware of it uh, so, so our hope is that we can continue just by making a lot of noise about the academy, that everyone far and wide hears about it and gets in touch. That's the, the the hope. Secondary to that, I do think that there is a responsibility for the racing industry to be more proactive in going out to communities that uh, it doesn't normally reach. And I know there's lots of different organisations that do great work in reaching that space, but it's quite hard to reach everyone. And I think from my experience with Khadija's story, we did a talk actually at my mum's school in Catford and Khadija walked in and these three young girls, these three young Muslim girls ran over to Khadija and burst into, into tears because for the first time in their life, they had a female role model that they could look up to and that they related to. And, and, and it's reaching those people on the back of Khadija's success and on the back of other success through the academy and saying, look, this, this is possible. This is great fun. This is very, very cool. And once we speak to enough people within that sort of remit, hopefully the Academy is something that has loads of applicants each year. 
loads of people from different areas, loads of people from inner cities, loads of people from diverse backgrounds, and everyone in the country knows about it. And then the responsibility is on the people within the community to tell everyone else in the community about how cool and exciting racing is. Um, so once we've got in there, it's then on the community to hear about it. Uh, and hopefully racing becomes a much more popular sport with the next generation. And in years to come, when we go racing, whether it's at Ascot, Goodwood, Chester, Cheltenham, the audience is a very diverse and multicultural audience, which reflects England in 2021. Also, we, we kind of what Ollie said is all was all completely correct, and I think we saw it anyway when we um, when we opened the applications. There were three times as many three times as many um, applicants as we were able to take on board, which was, I mean, obviously a little bit. It was really, 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 really tough decisions for us to make. So that wasn't that wasn't great, but it was really pleasing just to see with the level of interest that there was, and I think also in terms of that ability to reach other communities. On the scholarship group, 75% of our cohort are from diverse ethnic backgrounds, which I think, to the best of my knowledge, exceeds any scheme that exists in racing at the moment. And as Ollie says, that's just so important in terms of being relevant to you know the broadest possible spectrum of people across the country and, and making sure that we are accessible, relevant, inclusive and, and giving opportunities to absolutely everyone and, and broadening racing's appeal through that as well. So I think it's it's been a really, really positive start and it's about, as Ollie said, just building on that going forward and hopefully the success that the young people will go on to achieve um, will be a lightning rod for, for other young people getting involved as well. Mm, they'll become the, the ambassadors for the programme and bring in the next generation. Mel, let's uh, let's bring you in. You've been waiting very patiently for your turn. <laughs> <laughs> How did Champion hear about the Academy and become involved? Well, of course, we we have an established relationship with, with Khadija now. Um, I mean, you'd have to be blind to have not noticed the enormous billboards with her face and champion written across her forehead um, that featured sort of around the country particularly in London but also some of the establishments that have already been mentioned uh, where the participants uh, are coming from for the program so um, Ebony uh, Bricks in Brixton and the Urban Equestrian Academy we provide helmets to them and body protectors already because for us it's all about accessibility to um to the sport and you know the, especially for underrepresented communities so i saw an initial announcement on instagram and i i don't think i could have jumped on my phone any faster and i went straight to my boss um sarah jane for and and just thought you look you know you love racing champions embedded in racing this is perfect and she agreed so, you know, given, given the individuals involved and, and how it weaves in with our own ethos on participation, accessibility and equestrianism and also safety. Yeah, this is something these people have never done before. So, you know, riding, as Khadija rightly said, riding a, a racehorse is, is completely different. Um, we just felt it was a really, really good fit for the brand and, and a really good fit for, for these young people. Mm. And the support that Champion offers, that's, um, Naomi mentioned a bit of funding and, and also, as you say, giving some hats and body protectors to the young people on the programme. Yeah, so all the young people received a, a TI-22 body protector and then uh, a Ventair jockey skull with the, with the MIPS technology, which is obviously we, we learned about in a previous podcast. Um, we just feel so strongly about making horse riding accessible and safe to everyone who'd like to try it. You know, it's a lifestyle and a sport that, that we love at Champions. So one of the things we thought was, let's erase an obvious hurdle. You know, some of these young people, you know, getting access to this safety equipment, it, you know, it's expensive and 
if we were able to make that a, a little bit easier than it may have been before, then let's do that. We wanted to give these young people, you know, top quality market leading safety gear. And we also wanted to make sure that it fitted them perfectly. The last thing we wanted to happen was for, for these people to perhaps go to the internet or get a hand-me-down or go down the second hand route. So we thought, right, okay. And, and obviously a, a lot of these people might not necessarily have access to a reputable retailer to, to go and, and, and get these, these bits and bobs fitted on them. So we thought, you know what, let's go to them. And, and I think you've sort of touched on the fact that all fits very well into sort of champions wider ethos around making sure people have the right safety equipment and accessibility in this sport as well. Could you just elaborate a little on that, on that sort of company philosophy in those areas? Yeah, so I think it's it's just a question of as a brand, we we've always prided ourselves that we have something that fits into almost any budget and it's it's still within sort of the, the higher safety standards to make sure that people are protected. So when we heard about people or these young people wanting to, to you know, really give this a go and, and this amazing academy, we just thought, well, it's it's a no brainer, excuse the pun. The, these these people need to have access to this equipment. And it just falls back into to what I was saying about us having a, you know, body protectors and helmets to suit almost every budget. Obviously I say almost because some people just can't afford it, but Again, it's about taking that hurdle away. It's about saying, right, let's let's make that first initial step into getting into this sport that little bit easier. Let's let's give you a helmet. Let's give you a body protector. If you fall off and you hit your head, let's give you a replacement because that's not going to be that deterrent to make you not want to get back on a horse again or make you not want to continue pursuing the sport. Mm. I think Champion is a company that's got a long history in racing too. Tell us a little more about that. Yeah, so we've... Um, We've been long-time supporters of, of, of the sport. Um, our founder, John Ayres, had the pleasure of owning many racehorses over his lifetime. Um, I'm really sad that I never got to meet him because he's obviously a, a very well-known guy in the industry. His love of points pointing and national hunt racing was very well known. And there's actually a memorial race that's run at Chepstow each year in his name. And nothing made him prouder than to see the, the mud-spattered faces of the Ruby Walshes and Christian Williamses of this world smiling at him through the television with the word champion across their heads you know so um i think from uh if we go back a bit he his love for horses and his love for equestrianism and his love for sport for the sport and the sport of racing in particular got him and his wife into starting their own saddlery which which happened over 40 years ago ago now and you know, he really wanted to spearhead and, and support British manufacturing and really get into the nitty gritty of the pursuit of quality and, and making sure that these people that were doing this extremely dangerous sport day in, day out, actually had something decent on their bodies. And that that's sort of been in the development now for over three decades. And um, as I said, sadly, John passed away um, some time ago now, but his legacy lives on through his daughters. And, um, you know, we're, we're so passionate about making sure that people are educated and understand that it's really important to have well-fitting up to standard safety equipment on your body when you're riding a horse it's just you know they all they need to do is trip and and it's uh it could be disastrous so um and I think you know it's something to do with confidence as well Khadija touched on this really nicely I think if you know you've got something very quality on your body, you're going to feel more confident already. And um, it's a funny anecdote, actually, but uh, Ruby Walsh himself actually said that um, John was always far more interested in the state of of his brain than he was 
himself if the, so, you know he's always saying how's your head how's your head and i think ruby walsh is a bit like all right john you know it's it's fine but he he says himself it's thanks to him and, and and his champion helmets that his brain is fully intact and you know i know he's not racing as much as he was but it really is testament to the brand it really is testament to to the legacy that the brand has and i for one am really proud to be able to market a brand like this that's so dedicated to safety if I could quickly interject, um, Go for it. I can happily say I am no Ruby Walsh. However, I do owe my brain to champion because I did take a nasty fall this year and the helmet took the brunt. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so thank you, champion. <laughs> You're welcome. You must get a replacement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have ordered one. Good, good. <laughs> oh, well, that's... um. I was going to say that's good to hear. It's not good to hear, Khadija, because I don't want to hear that you've fallen off a horse, but it's it's good to hear that your helmet did its job and that you will be getting a new one as well. And um, thank you, Mel, for explaining how Champion get involved and, and, you know, the philosophy behind all that. I think we're nearly ready to wrap up, but Khadija, I just wanted to ask you a little about your life since that tremendous success. It's a couple of years ago now. You said you're a student at Brighton, is that right? Yeah, I'm currently going into my third year. And what are you studying? mechanical engineering gosh that sounds very brainy and do you get much time to ride still are you able to be involved in between my degree I've been trying to do as much riding as possible whilst doing my degree I found it very difficult in first year to balance the both and I'm I'm a I'm a tunnel vision kind of gal so it's it's either I throw myself into one thing or the other and one thing I clearly learned quite quickly is that racing is not something you can part-time so unfortunately, I will be doing one or the other, depending on, on my course and my my holidays. Um, recently, I've been riding for Charlie Fellows over the last three months, which was really great. It was the first time in a long time that I've been riding. So it was really nice to be back in business. However, I'm going to finish my third year, then potentially do another race. We'll see. Oh, great. Well, we'll be following you and best of luck with the third year of your degree as well. Final question, Naomi, I think it's one for you. Um, you said you had an awful lot of uh, applicants for the, for the programme this year, but if someone was listening who was interested in applying for one of those programmes at the Riding a Dream Academy, or perhaps they knew a young person who they thought might want to get involved, where should they look for more information? Um, first of all, to go to the Riding a Dream website, which is ridingadreamacademy.com, um, and you can email us also at info at ridingadreamacademy.com. Um, we'll be running a second residential week early in um, next year, so early in 2022. So um, we'll be opening up those applications in due course. But if people want to kind of get in touch and find out a little bit more about what that might look like, and um, obviously we'll be advertising the dates once those are um, firmed up, but do just drop us a line and we'll um, keep your details and then get back in touch once we've got some more places open up. Brilliant. Thank you, Naomi. So there you go, everyone, ridingadreamacademy.com. And there's lots of uh, great stuff to read and find out about the Academy there. I had a good good route around the website while I was preparing for this podcast. So uh, do have a look there if you want to, to find out more just because you're interested or if you know someone who might want to apply or indeed you want to apply yourself. Well, thank you so much to all my guests today. It's been a, a big group, but Khadija Mella, Ollie Bell, Naomi Lawson and Mel Newman. It's been so great talking to all of you. And don't forget, listeners, that the first three episodes of the Champion Safety Series are available to download in the Horse and Ham podcast back catalogue. And we'll be back in a couple of months' time for episode five. Goodbye for now. Goodbye for now.